Good morning. My name is uh, Steve Young, part of the leadership team here at King's, and uh, I'm going to be speaking today. You know, today in our origin series, we've got the opportunity to talk about the environment. It's great that Kate, with the, the kids' work, finished by planting seeds. Planting seeds and growing, growing is just part of everyday life. I'm pleased to be discussing this subject for most of my working life. I've been involved in environmental management, thinking about the environmental issues and the environmental impact of engineering infrastructure and development programs. It's going to be a little bit different today. We're going to include some science as we go along, but as the basis for then thinking about our Christian responses uh, to these issues. Let's just, uh, let's just pray as we start. Father God, we do thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for how clearly it sets out your role in creation, Lord God, speaking it into being, sustaining it by your word. But Lord, we recognise too that your word gives us, as humankind, particular responsibilities. And I just pray that you will help us. Holy Spirit, won't you bring your word, the words alive to us today? Lord, that we will understand uh, the responsibilities that you've placed on our shoulders and how we discharge those well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The environment's one of the big issues of public consciousness in recent years. Our TV uh, includes many programmes by David Attenborough and others highlighting the challenges facing our environment. Young campaigners like Greta Thunberg have highlighted these issues at the United Nations and to the world. And we're aware of the environmental changes in our own lives too. Aren't those spring flowers coming up earlier than they used to? We see it in our weather, don't we? The Met Office tell us that for the UK, 2020 has been a year of extremes, with the wettest February on record, the sunniest spring, a heat wave in the summer, and a day in October that was the UK's wettest day on record ever. <laughs> We've experienced that, haven't we? And certainly, we're experiencing a more extreme climate than we used to. And similar changes are occurring right across the globe. Glaciers are retreating. Ice sheets are melting. Climate change is very real and is affecting each of us. We see too the environmental challenges in the plastic that's choking our seas and the pollution that's affecting many cities, particularly in China, India and across the world. And even here in the UK, in London, UK, uh, toxic air pollution remains the biggest environmental risk to health for all Londoners. It's surprising, I think, that in the face of all these environmental challenges, in our evangelical circles, this is quite a neglected topic for biblical teaching. There are some speaking out, and interestingly, Jubilee Plus, the organisation Natalie leads, is one of the organisations headlining this issue and the social injustice associated with it, alongside others like Tear Fund speaking out. So last week when we started our Origin series, Andrew looked at Genesis 1, talking about the work of God in creating the whole world. We read how on the sixth day, 
God created humankind and gave them particular responsibilities in relation to the rest of creation. And it's those responsibilities and how we exert them that we'll be thinking about together today. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 to 31. I'll read them to us. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Very specific responsibilities given to humankind. From the first start here in Genesis 1, they were to multiply and extend across the whole earth. Subduing it and using the dominion given them by God to manage the other creatures and the vegetation of the, world, of the earth and to feed themselves. It's interesting that although in this passage it only talks about plants and seeds for food, that's probably because at this point there was no death in creation. The fall hadn't happened yet. And after the fall in Genesis 9, God says to Noah that every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And to this were added the laws of the Old Testament, which gave them a framework for this. <clears throat> so God allowed them to eat the meat of the animals. Although, as a side issue in the context of today, it's interesting to note that actually a plant-based diet it's far less demanding in terms of natural resources than a meat-based diet. But that's a side issue for, for today. But in relation to the role of humans in the dominion of the earth, Genesis 2.15 describes it as to work and to keep it. A phrase which includes present activity and future stewardship. Sustainable management, if you like. We know that as a result of the fall, the role of humans in working the land became harder. But that fundamental responsibility of stewardship remains. And even after the fall, the earth and the created order still fulfills that original purpose to bring glory to God. The psalmists knew this and were frequently moved to praise by the wonder of creation. That glory of creation will be further seen when Jesus returns 
The Bible contains the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. The original relationships between humankind and the natural order restored. The prophet Isaiah foresaw that. That day when the wolf would dwell with the lamb and the leopard would lie down with the young goat. We see creation is important to God in every stage of the biblical narrative. I was reminded just last night of Romans chapter 8 where it talks about creation groaning and longing for the day when Jesus returns. We know that, don't we, in our own hearts. And as we look at these issues, whilst we work hard in the days that God has placed us, we also look forward to that day when we'll be restored to be with God forever in that new heaven, that new earth. But let's just start by remembering with the psalmist the wonder of creation. I'm going to look at Psalm 19 and verses 1 to 6. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor there are, are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. A beautiful picture, isn't it, of God. And frequently, we too, like the psalmist, will be moved to praise and worship by the sight of a sunrise, a sunset, or a beautiful landscape. The heavens truly do declare the glory of God. And we know too that as Christians, we often make an argument for the presence of God as creator by the precision and intricacy of creation. That perfect balance that put the earth just the right place in the universe so that life can be sustained on earth. When you look at the probabilities, they're too high. This just can't be some accident. But seeing this wonder of creation, being moved by it, isn't it surprising that we're not doing better at managing the natural environment? You know, I learnt from the BBC's Perfect Planet programme that if we continue as we are, over the next eight decades, half of the life species here on Earth will be lost. In the lifetime of a child being born now, much of creation will disappear forever. That will be a massive impact, fundamentally affecting the Earth's productivity, the life cycles contained within it. So why aren't we doing better? I thought I'd just look at a few of the reasons that uh, analysis of the science tells us why we're not doing better than we are. Firstly, perhaps, short-term economics demands more and more at cheaper and cheaper prices without taking count of longer-term impacts. When we talk about food supply, we know that irrigation, crop development, improved farming practices can massively enhance productivity. 
And that's a good thing for feeding the population. But even then we have to be very careful. I remember as a young man when my wife and I were first married, lived down in Wiltshire. We went up to the Marlborough Downs on a windy day. They're huge fields, largely uh, large and very intensively farmed. And on that day you could clearly see the topsoil blowing away in the wind. Now I'm not much of an agriculturalist, but my assessment was that the intensity of the farming had broken the soil down for short-term gain of increased production. The hedges had been taken out to make operations easier. But at what cost? Maybe a second reason why we're not so good at taking account of this is that we're talking about progressive, small, incremental changes that are difficult to see. It's good scientific evidence, but it doesn't impact on our day-to-day -day lives. And for us, as a developed society, we can adapt. We build bigger and bigger sea defences. Maybe we think about putting air conditioning in our bedrooms. Changes that individually, over the course of our lifetime, we can adapt to. We're protected from many of the impacts. The larger impacts that are happening are remote from us. For us, our dependent on the dependence on the natural environment isn't always apparent. We may hear that climate change has led to the failure of the rains in the Ethiopian hills. Might even respond by sending a little bit of money. But the link to our own actions is indirect and hard to understand. But for those pastoral farmers, this is life or death. The need to leave ancestral lands and ways of life that are part of their identity. This is huge and life-changing. Maybe another reason we don't so, do so well is that the science is complicated, and of course it is. Not many of us are climate scientists. But the message that those scientists are communicating is very clear and very categoric. Climate sceptics have little credibility in my mind. And of course we've got lots of people, we've referred to David Attenborough, but others too, interpreting the finding of the scientists to us in ways that we can understand, helping us to make the linkages. Perhaps another way reason we don't do better is that we think our efforts won't make much impact. And of course, your consumption patterns, your habits alone, can only have very limited effect. But the combined effect of us all is a significant voice if we turn our backs on products that have high environmental footprints. We're going to think about our response and look at this in a bit more detail. So what are our responses? What do we do? How do we respond to this as humankind and particularly for day in the, today in the church context as followers of Jesus? I recognise that some of you listening today will no, not be Christians, but I hope even for you there will be some useful thoughts in the ideas that I outline here. So the first response when we come to creation is to celebrate its wonder. That creation that speaks of the glorious majesty and power of the creator. 
that the psalmist describes so eloquently points to the God who spoke a word and it came into being. We need to start with celebration and wonder. Secondly, though, we need to be biblically convicted of the responsibility God has given us to manage the earth, to tend and to keep it. Let's ask God to reveal this understanding to us and to convict our hearts. It may also take some investigation for us to develop our understanding of the work of the climate scientists. Not necessarily in details, but as we've discussed, there are programs, there are articles which can help us get to grips with the basic science. There really is no excuse not to be informed at a general level. We need to be biblically convicted. And thirdly, we need to see the social injustice of this issue. That the developed world has caused many of the challenges now being experienced. But the effects are being experienced most severely by many of the poorest people in the world. Those least able to adapt. Christian concern should motivate us further on this issue. Think of sea level rise. It will be a challenge and an inconvenience for the Netherlands. But for Bangladesh, a low-lying country with similar topography, with limited resources, it's likely to be devastating. The impacts are much more severe in the developing world than in the developed world. Fourthly, we need to consider the resources in our hand. Those things that God has given us, our money, our purchasing power. Are we using these responsibly in relation to this issue? Each of us needs to consider our habits, our lifestyles, their impact on the environment and the changes we can make. The energy decisions that you take, your choice of supplier, the level of insulation you have, your travel patterns, your consumption... In many areas, we have choices that we can make. And these need to be informed by these issues. And fifthly, and perhaps one I'm particularly excited about, the talents God has given us. Young person, the decisions you're making about careers and vocation. Could it be that God is calling you to work in this area, to bring a Christian perspective to your work there? Businessman. How green is your business? Care worker, are there opportunities in your workplace to reduce environmental impacts? Different cleaning products, less waste. Teacher, have you communicated this subject well to your students in every area of school life? And parents, are you teaching your children well in this area, showing them a good example? We're motivated by the thought of passing on our Christian faith to our children. Let's think about the planet that we're passing on to them as well. And finally, in the responses that I thought uh, and wanted to present to you today, our voices. Are we using the voices God has given us on behalf of the poor and vulnerable? Those who are suffering most as a result of these issues. Are you using your consumer voice and the buying decisions you make 
to communicate care for the environment to retailers and suppliers? Are you using your political voice to influence the policies of our governments and local authorities, locally and nationally? Our godly charge and the injustice of environmental change should motivate us at every point. And of course, you'll be able to think about many other detailed ways in which your everyday activities are impact on the planet. Martin Charlesworth of Jubilee Plus suggests that we all take an audit of our personal activities to see how we could do better on these issues. It's not about provoking us to feel guilty, but genuinely asking God, what should I do? And I know that actually some of these will make good economic sense, while others may come at a cost, which I recognise for some of us will be unaffordable. It'll be different for everyone, but wherever you are, there'll be a few more steps you can take in this area. Maybe it's just being more diligent in taking your bags to the supermarket or saying no to what they offer you as a, a, a bag to put your stuff in. God understands. He sees our hearts. And so, to conclude, lights just as, show, as I've shown to you today, that as humankind, we have a very clear responsibility to manage the natural world and creation. As Christians, we have a particular responsibility to play our part in managing the environment well. It's for us, each of us, to consider our own actions and the part that we're playing to ensure that we're living in a responsible and sustainable manner. And I'm convinced that for each of us, wherever we are, there'll be additional steps we can take that will reduce the impact of our lives on the earth, the glorious, God-glorifying earth on which God has created and on which he's placed us. Thank you. Now, we're going to end today slightly unusually, perhaps unusually, unusually because we haven't had this opportunity before. But we've got um, three points for you to consider, and we'll be putting those up in a moment. If you're on Zoom, uh, you'll be invited. You can go and join a breakout room where you'll have the chance to look and think about these things with, with other people. Um, if you're on YouTube, um, please you can look and consider the, the points in your household, maybe with your children, uh, with those uh, around you. If you're on your own, then let God speak to you uh, in the quietness of that. These sort of three uh, points that you can consider for your own life. And then after a few minutes, we'll be coming back together. Alid and Lou then uh, will uh, conclude our morning service. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today. That's the points to consider.